We're on to the latest in our series of um, seven sayings um, of Jesus. And this week we're going to be looking at um, John chapter 11, verse 25 in particular, but we're going to go through quite a lot of the chapter as well. Um, if you remember back in um, November, um, Mary Cameron did a brilliant job um, just going through this chapter for us. Um, and if you want an overview of the chapter, um, then please listen to that again. Also, I believe Kev is with us today. And Kev, you preached on chapter 11 as well, didn't you? So again, look up the uh, central um, Spotify or the YouTube page and you know, give Kev's preach um, on chapter 11 a listen as well. Um, and whilst I was re-listening to Mary's preach, I actually thought about, you know, how differently we would both approach a similar set of verses. Because we're looking at the same verses, but we're obviously coming at it from different angles. But also, just our life experiences are completely different. Um, when you're listening to Mary's preach, you know, she talks about Yuri Gagarin, she talks about William Shakespeare, she talks about Dorothy Sayers, who I'll admit I've never heard of before. Yeah. I could easily talk about Doctor Who, and, you know, this is probably my fourth time preaching here, and I'm deliberately restraining from doing it, you know, I'm not doing it, because I know it's that cliche, that everyone's like, you're going to preach on Doctor Who. No, I'm trying not to do it. I will do it one day, but not yet. Um, but, you know, when I got these verses, this shows how different Mary and I, I am, is that literally for six weeks, the only thing I've had going through my head is I am the resurrection by the stone roses over and over and over again through my head. So I'm so looking forward to getting this preach out because I can forget that song for a bit. Um, and I was even trying to think of like how I can get in some facts about the Stone Roses into the preach. I'm like, you know, I could tell you the story about how Manny the bass player from the Stone Roses um, came up with that song by playing the bass line to Taxman by the Beatles backwards. You know, but you know, I won't give you facts like that because you, you don't really want to know them, but you know, that's, that's the kind of guy I am, and obviously Mary's different. So when we look at these verses, we look at them in a different way, way and we can reveal different things um, from Scripture. Um, because, you know, we, we're all individuals. God has made us unique, and he gives us, you know, different ways of seeing him and his love for us. So, yeah. Um, so let's get out of my head for a bit, and let's get into Scripture, because that's probably a far better place to be. Um, so we're going to be looking at um, John chapter 11, um, and it's the story of Lazarus. And as I say, Mary's already preached on this, and I'm sure many of you are also already familiar with the story of Lazarus, where he um, was a close friend of Jesus, he lived with his sisters, Martha and Mary, um, and then Lazarus was ill. And someone came to Lazarus and said, look, your friend, uh, sorry, came to Jesus and said, look, your friend's ill, can you come and do something about it? And Jesus was like, yeah, I'll come in a bit. And then another message, and then Jesus talks to his disciples and he goes, yep, Lazarus is dead now. And they're like, what? Why didn't you go? And he's like, we'll go when ready. And then Jesus goes to be with um, Lazarus and to be with Mary and Martha. And that's where we're going to pick up the story, um, starting at verse 17. Um, and just say, I'm reading from the ESV this morning. I know some of you um, read from NIV and, and other translations, but I'm reading from the ESV, and it's going to be ESV up on the screen um, today. And it says this, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. 
Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house, and Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here... Sorry, I've already lost my place. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And she said, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. I'm just going to pause there because I've been through this chapter so many times and every time I had to stop at that verse. And I know it's not what I'm supposed to be preaching on today, but I just couldn't get past it at times. Um, It's the shortest verse in the Bible. And yet, what an amazing, powerful verse it is. Um, It's two words long. And a verse that is, you know, can often be used in expletive to express frustration at things going wrong. Um, but here, in this verse, we get to witness the fullness of Jesus' humanity as well as his anguish as his creation for those he loves as God. Jesus wept. This wasn't the silent sobbing of a man grieving for a friend. You know, this wasn't the British stiff upper lip, you know, wiping a tear away, trying to repress all emotion. And as the Moffat translation puts it, Jesus burst into floods of tears. Now, I'm not much of a crier. Um, I don't know how many people in this room have seen me cry, but it doesn't happen that often. I'm not the sort of person who... When their favourite TV character dies, I burst into tears. You know, I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm not completely emotionally repressed. You know, I cried when Joss and Bea were born, even though if they were just a quick couple of tears, I quickly wiped away. You know, seeing the kids born was fantastic, and you know, there's been plenty of times in my life that I've shed a tear or cried. Um, but I, this brought back to me um, two occasions in my life when I've genuinely sobbed um, and it was um, to do with two friends of mine um, and they were brothers um, one was called Andrew and one was called Daniel 
Um, and they were the oldest of four brothers. Um, there was Andrew, Daniel, Stephen and Ben. And they were in my church um, back in Hertfordshire where I grew up. And, you know, we were all a similar age. It was about a sort of six-year age gap over the four of us. And um, Stephen was exactly the same age as me. And we would always hang out together. You know, we would play football together loads. We would play cricket on Sunday afternoons. You know, Stephen and I used to um, uh, play computer games together. We'd play table tennis table t- uh, together. We, you know, anything to waste away that time between the morning meeting and the evening meeting. Um, and I can just remember one day um, when I was about um, 14 or 15, um, being at home and the phone rang and then my mum came to me. Sorry. I thought I'd get through this. <sighs> my mum came to me and she said, your friend Andrew's died. And I didn't know what to do. I just ran into my room and burst into tears, threw myself on the bed and just let everything out. And because I was gutted. I'd lost a friend. I hadn't had a chance to say goodbye. You know, he was gone. And what it later turned out was that Andrew actually had a heart defect that no one knew about. You know, it was just something that hadn't been picked up as a kid. And it was such a shock because he was the sportiest guy you'll meet. He was a cross-country runner. He played football. He did all the sports at school. But because of this, they then had to do tests on the whole family. Because they were like, this type of heart defect is actually genetic. Um, so they tested all the family, and they found that his brother Daniel, the oldest of the four brothers, also had the same defect. And they were like, it's fine, we can do stuff, we can give you medicine, we can do all sorts of things, you know, and this you know, hopefully won't be a problem, but obviously there is a risk that one day this may happen to you as well. And uh, sure enough, you know, Daniel grew up. He got on to be a young man. He, he got married. Um, he set up his own business as a builder. You know, that's the sort of strong guy that he was. He was fit and healthy. Until one day, got the phone call. Really sorry, Daniel's died. He was sat at home watching TV and just like that, gone. You know, I, he was 29. You know, it's no age at all. And yet, suddenly he was gone. And at that point, I didn't actually cry because we knew about it. It was, uh, you know, it was something that we kind of expected, but at the same time, you know, you hoped it wouldn't happen. Um, and I was fine until the day of the funeral. And I can remember being stood at the graveside. We'd actually gone past his brother's grave to get to his new gravesite. And I can just remember looking around at the gravesite, and I could see um, his brothers, you know, with that red-eyed look of people that have been grieving for days, you know, really pale faces, red eyes. Um, and I looked at his wife, and she was there crying. And then I looked at his mum and dad, and just the look on their faces of, how has this happened? How have we outlived two of our sons? You know, they're supposed to be burying us, not us burying them. And 
again, it got to the point where I was like saying goodbye to Daniel, looking around at the rest of the family. And you could just feel it coming up. And of course, being the guy that I am, I tried to hold it down. Didn't want to let it come out. Didn't want this emotion to break free. And then it just broke. And it was just that awful feeling and noise of emotion that came out where you're trying to let something out, but at the same time realizing you can't breathe. And the tears just came and, you know, just fell apart at the graveside. And my mum was with me, and it was just one of those moments where, you know, your mum makes you feel like a little kid again. She wrapped her arms around me, kept on saying, it's okay, we're going to see him again. We're going to see him again. And I was like, yeah, but it still hurts seeing this. It still hurts seeing his family like this. Um, and that is possibly the closest, and I'm not, believe me, I'm not comparing myself to what Jesus felt in that moment, but that is the only way I can understand that moment in John chapter 11. Because Jesus wept. He didn't just weep over his friend. He was weeping for the whole of humanity. It was the uncontrollable grief of God, but in the body of a man. And this was his reaction to seeing the effects of sin on his creation. Um, the pain that had been caused by man's disobedience, um, you know, of death entering the earth. And it was never his intention for us. You know, we weren't supposed to die. We were supposed to live in creation with God, walk in the Garden of Eden and fill the ends of the earth. Um, but instead, you know, man sinned. And the only cure and the only way to save mankind for this would be for God to step down from heaven um, in the form of a man called Jesus and die for us. And he knew it. He saw that and he wept. Um, and even though Lazarus was going to rise again, you know, even within minutes, because Jesus knew what was going to happen, you know, he wept and he wept for his friend, he wept for Lazarus' family, and he wept for you and me. And I believe that this is also a precursor for Jesus being in the Garden of Gethsemane, where um, you know, he was praying with such intensity um, for what was about to happen and for us that you know, he, he sweated like drops of blood. Um, you know, and this is the Jesus who loves us. Let us never forget that. It's Jesus who loves us, who intercedes for us who bled and died and rose again for us. He took on our punishment. And this is the Jesus who brings the dead to life. And I'm sorry for the emotional roller coaster it's already been, particularly for myself. Um, but unfortunately, to get to resurrection, you've got to go through death. Um, so we're going to go back to verse 36 now. And the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, could he not have opened the, he who could, no, could he who have opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? And then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. Whereas some translations put, he stinketh. Stinks. He's that dead. He stinks. 
And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you would always hear me, but I said on this account of the pe- and, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, said to them, Unbind him and let him go. I am the resurrection and the life. And we're going to now look at this, and we're going to break it down into three parts. We're going to look at the I am, and then we're going to look at the resurrection, and then we're going to look at the life. I'm going to take a drink of water. So, I am. It's quite a statement by Jesus to refer to himself in this way. This is the fifth time out of seven in the book of John that he declares, I am. It tells of the immediacy and the certainty of who he is. He's not the, I will be the resurrection. He's not referring to what he'll become. He's not the, I was a good shepherd. He's not the, I could be the door. Or I was a light. But he is, I am. In this moment, right now, I am the resurrection. And not only that, but this is a phrase that many people at that graveside would have heard before. If we turn to Exodus 3.13, hope you'll be up on the screen, we have a famous scene where Moses encounters a burning bush. And the bush is God and his presence. And it's talking to Moses. And Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, well, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. It's not just a statement about timing Jesus is making. It's a name It's a declaration of his divinity. Jesus is once again claiming that he is not just a man. Yes, he may be in a human body, but he is more than that. He's the one that was there when the earth was created. When God said, let us make, in Genesis, that was Jesus. He wasn't created by God. He was the creator of all things. The one who creates life, the one who sustains life, and the one who brings new life. When you see Martha, Mary, and others speak to Jesus, they refer to him as Lord. They know he is the Son of God. Martha even declares it in a statement in verse 27. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, the one who is coming into the world. And yet, at this time, for them, just as many times in our lives for us, We need a reminder of who Jesus is. Not who he was to us. Not who we will be. But who he is right now. And the other thing about this statement, it's not the I can statement. Jesus is not a performer. You know, he's he's not trying to reassure Martha and Mary that he could um, resurrect Lazarus if he liked. 
um, click of his fingers and Lazarus is back up on his feet and everyone is cheering and clapping at the magic that was performed. Jesus is stating very matter-of-factly his being, his nature. He is life. Life that is more powerful than death. So let's have another quick look at Jesus' conversation with Martha in verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated at the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You know, Martha knows Jesus has the power to heal the sick. She's seen it. She's heard about it. And she's probably quite upset with him that Jesus didn't come. You know, this is the man that's healed strangers, and yet he didn't come for one of his best friends to heal him. But even now you, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give it you. Martha. What a statement that is. Even if she doesn't know for certain that Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead, she suspects she thinks, she hopes that he will do it. She will have heard the stories of the other people that have been raised from the dead by uh, Jesus. And she would have even heard some of his teachings where he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in tombs will hear the voice and come out. Lazarus is in a tomb. What do we think is going to happen? But four days dead is unfortunately dead. It's properly dead. Your body's gone through rigor mortis. It's come out the other side of rigor mortis. There's all sorts of stuff going on with bacteria and things in your body. It's not nice. You know, there's no one around that can slap a defibrillator on him, give him a couple of shocks and get him up and walking again. Lazarus is gone. And yet Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha replies, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And again, Martha, that is a brilliant statement. She's understood the teaching that she's heard. She's read, you know, she's, she's been taught her Old Testament. Because it says things like in Job 19, verse 25 and 27, For I know that my Redeemer lives. And that at the last he will stand upon earth, and after my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold. Also in Daniel chapter 12 it says this, But at the time your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, 
some to everlasting life, and to some to shame and everlasting contempt. You see, Martha knows. Martha knows that in the end, we will all, everyone will rise again. We're all coming back whether we want to or not. And we'll either be, no, we'll either be judged as those that know him and are secure in him, and be counted as the multitude of saints, or we'll come and look at, or as we come to look at another one of the I am's, we'll see that we're not part of the vine, and those who are not joined to him will be cast off to die and be thrown into the fire, separated forever. Martha knows that there is no resurrection um, without Jesus. There is no life without Jesus. And And the question is, do we know that? Do we know and believe that Jesus is the resurrection? Because the evidence is here. And if you don't believe today, and if you don't believe that Jesus is the I am, and that Jesus is the re- resurrection, and as we go on to see on, in, towards the end, that he is also the life, if you don't believe that, and make him Lord over your life, then I'm afraid death and eternal separation from God is your future but there is hope there is hope (laughs) thank you God because we're not just being resurrected by Jesus we're also receiving life through him because Jesus said to her I am the resurrection and the life whoever believes in me though he'll die yet shall he live the life. So the final part we're looking at this morning is Jesus claiming that he is the life. And for that, let's look at verses 43 and 44. And he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came back, came out. His hands and feet were bound with linen strips and his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. You see, Jesus isn't just a talker. He's not all words and no deeds. Um, Jesus is the word. And his word brings life. Have a look at John 1 if you don't believe me. But here we have Jesus fulfilling both what he was saying and also who he is. He's told Martha that he is the resurrection and life. And now he's backing it up with his word and with his deeds. He's using a physical sign to demonstrate the truth. And when we look at verse 43 in particular, I do like to wonder if, what had happened if Jesus hadn't said Lazarus? If he hadn't called him by name? If he just simply said, come out, would everybody in that grave site have got up and come out? Or if he hadn't even been that specific, if he just said, come out, would every animal come out of the ground, every worm, every maggot, every bird that had a in a nest in a tree, would they have come out? Would all the animals come out from their burrows? You know, how far would this power have reached? Would it have only been for those that could, well, hear his voice? But, or would it have just spread across the world that literally when Jesus said, come out, everyone in the world that was dead would have just risen up at once? I don't know. I'd love to give you the answer to that, but that's when you can think about yourselves. But what did happen was that Um, Lazarus did come out. He was called by name. 
And in that moment, we witness God's power in two fantastic ways. Firstly, Jesus overcomes death by raising Lazarus up. But at the same time, Jesus brings life to his body. Because remember, he was four days dead. We don't know what killed Lazarus. It just says he was sick. What, what was he sick with? Did he have a cancer? Had he had a really bad bout of food poisoning? Did he have a burst appendix? Well, that's a bit close to home. But, you know, we don't know what was wrong with Lazarus. Yet his body was fully restored. And I like to think that in that moment, Lazarus was probably the healthiest he had been in his life. There wouldn't have been a scratch on him. No aches, no pains. He just would have been alive and well and full of life. But even then, it still doesn't end. Jesus, Lazarus is resurrected. He's alive and healed. And then Jesus says, unbind him and let him go. Because life doesn't simply mean living. Lazarus was alive, but he wasn't completely free from the consequences of his death. He was still bound in his grave clothes. He was still tied up with death. And he needed others to come and set him free. Jesus told them to unbind him. Jesus didn't do it himself. He partnered with the people that were there. And it's a beautiful picture for us as a church, as people hear the voice of Jesus from their graves, as they are raised from the dead, as as people become new creations, where the old has gone and the new has come. After all that happens, we, as the church, get to help them pull away those grave clothes and live. Jesus wants to partner with us bringing life. As, as we've seen previously in John chapter 10, when Jesus gives us life, it's not just to live, but it's life in all of its fullness. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. In some translations it says, in all its fullness. So in conclusion today, let's continue to remind ourselves of who Jesus is. He is, I am. He's the one who has always been and always will be. He's the one who weeps. Our creator is full of love for us who when he sees how broken his creation is, he can't help but cry out. And he's the resurrection. Even though we're broken, even though we were dead, he restores us. And then finally, he is the life. We're not simply revived, but we're made anew. Restored to a relationship with him. Amen. And just say, if there is anyone here this morning and you're thinking, hold on a minute, I'm not ready. I'm not ready for death. I don't know what's happening to me. Please come and talk with myself or Rian or Mike. Um, You know, and we'll talk you through how you can have a relationship with your loving God and our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.